are off today, and that means it's time for another Cardinals Off Day podcast. I'm Ben Godar, here as always with my good friend, Ben Humphrey. And Ben, I think the fact that it is an off day is the only reason that we can safely say that Albert Pujols will not hit a home run today. Yes, uh, this is the only way, uh, especially the Pirates, could stop him, right? Get him to leave town. <laughs> Um, did you see? Did you see the statistic that uh, Albert Pujols has hit more home runs at PNC Park than any current Pittsburgh Pirate? Oh well, I I, I missed that one, uh, but it does not surprise me at all. And you know, following uh, some of the uh, shall we say veteran Vive Alberto's comment commenters from back in the day. Um, I've, I've seen the Albert Pujols at PNC Park career statistical line pop up a few times in my feed. Yes. And it's really incredible. Like, yeah. incredible. <laughs> it is. It oh, You know what? It's so good that these last couple seasons when uh, Pujols has been, uh, you know, kind of, uh, you know, untethered to a contract, uh, I have always wondered, would he end up on the Pirates just because – a, you felt like they could probably use a little bit of an attraction there to get butts in the seats. And B, he crushed so, crushed the ball so well there, I thought it might be favorable to him as well. Yeah, uh, same here. I was always kind of wondering if he would just wind up in Colorado, like in full-on, like early 1900s, like Carney mode, where, you know, the Rockies are just, they have a yard barker out in front of Coors Field. Like, yep. comes the Albert Pujols, smash home runs. And they, they uh, throw him a non-humidor ball, ball. Yes, yes. They they do everything they can to get Albert Pujols home runs uh, so he can reach milestones in a Rockies uniform and get that exposure online and for all of history when those replays are shown. Yeah, yeah. No, that wouldn't have surprised me either, but... Uh, instead, uh, something much better has, has happened for us as Cardinals fans, of course, and that he has returned home. Uh, so uh, we have a, a number of uh, interesting topics to hit on today. We're going to talk more about Albert Pujols. We're going to talk about Jack Flaherty. We're going to talk about the new uh, rules that Major League Baseball announced for next year. We're going to answer a, a bunch of listener questions as well. But Ben, before we get into that, since our last recording, what have you learned? Um, I have learned that uh, Albert Pujols is a machine. <laughs> he's not just I mean, a machine, he's the machine. The machine, that's right. I, I totally undersold that. Uh, it's It has been so incredible to watch. And I just, I don't know about you, Ben, but with the way the offense had been performing, I was really to the point where I, it, it was almost like it was 2009 again, where I was like, uh-huh. we just need to get someone on and get Pujols up and we'll have a yes. chance. <laughs> yeah. yeah. In his forties, he's in his last year. And I'm having this thought, you know, that I never thought I would have this, this season, uh, if I'm being frank. And I really do feel like it's, it's 2009 or 2010, like, you know, pick yeah. a year for the Cardinals, I guess. But it it really felt, especially this weekend with him demolishing the Pirates in Pittsburgh, like we were we were back to the future, so to speak. Uh, it was a really incredible ride. And 
the type of thing that, you know, when, when you hear the, how can you not be romantic about baseball line? And there are mm-hmm. a list of reasons why you cannot be romantic about baseball. And Rob Manfred and the owners gave us a lot of them during the off season. Um, but when you see something like this, it is, it is just incredible and just so wonderful and almost magical and just such a treat to watch and to see younger fans. And we've talked about this before, but uh, our eight-year-olds to be able to live through this. And, uh, you know, I told Lane this afternoon, I said, Lane, Albert Pujols hit another home run. And he's like, that's six 696 no 697 <laughs> and you know he was doing the math in his head and just like he was like that's so many home runs do you think he'll catch Babe Ruth and I just looked at him and I was dead serious and I said I don't know but I wouldn't bet against him <laughs> yeah <laughs> Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, we'll uh, we'll talk a little more about Albert Pujols here in a minute, but uh, you know, Ben, I think the thing that I have learned uh, is, uh, and and again, it's more of a reminder than anything else. Uh, it's a long season, and one thing about the long season is uh, the team that you start the season with, and the team you have in the middle of the season, the team you have at the end of the season, uh, can be very different. Um, and I'm not just talking about player acquisitions. So, you know, cast your minds back to the beginning of the season when, uh, you know, Pujols joined the team. You know, for those first couple months, you remember, Albert Pujols was basically ornamental. Um, and the the main thing we we got out of him was uh, shots of, of him in the dugout mentoring Juan Yepes, right? Um, and then, you know, he'd maybe take a ceremonial at bat each series. And it really seemed like that was about what he was going to do. Right. Well, now here in the second half, you know, he is a, a major uh, contributor and driver of this offense. And of course, uh, Juan Pez is in, you know, in the minors. Uh, but, you know, think back. I remember that, you know, in, in uh, April, May, there was a point where Dakota Hudson's uh, ERA was three. And I know I got some uh, messages from fans because I had kind of made some comments about not believing him. And people said, oh, look at, you know, look how good he is. Well, of course, Hudson's in the minors now. Think about Tommy Edmonds' season. He was good and then he was bad and then he was good again. Think about Paul DeYoung's season. He was bad. <laughs> he was good. And then he was bad again. Right. And so I just I, I bring these up and I remind folks of these things because uh, over the last couple weeks, uh, really in the last week more so, um, you know, uh, devil magic aside, the, the offense has been underperforming a little bit. Um, you know, Michaelis and Wainwright have had some some rougher outings than they've had, um, you know, and I, I know I've seen some kind of hand wringing and some consternation. And to me, uh, I'm just not worried about it because this is just what happens, right? The way guys perform at the beginning of the season, the way the guys perform at the middle of the season, not necessarily going to be the way they perform at the end of the season. And so, you know, we'll see. We'll go into the playoffs. And I think some of these guys are going to be at their best. And some of them are very much not going to be at their best. But they still contributed at some point during the season to get us where they are. So that's, uh, that's kind of what I've learned or been reminded of here lately. Yeah, it's it's a really long season. We have uh, not quite a month, but we still have three weeks left. And, you know, a lot of folks have started, you know, with our interactions with fans online, they've started, you know, kind of thinking about the postseason. And in a way, the season's so long, it, it's almost 
uh, a little bit too early to be doing that even because the lay of the land will probably shift a little bit between now and the first pitch of the postseason for the Cardinals. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we've for a couple of weeks been fielding questions about, you know, who's going to be in the postseason rotation, who's going to be in the bullpen. And we can certainly think about those things. And it's, it's, it is interesting to kind of cast your mind forward. But the reality is, you know, injury and sudden ineffectiveness and things like that will probably dictate that in the next few weeks. And, and you know, by the time it gets here, it'll be a pretty clear, almost foregone conclusion based on where guys are at right now. But it's hard to know where, you know, where that will be even just three weeks ahead. So, um, ben, why don't we dive in? And our first topic here we already kind of hit on was uh, Devil Magic and Albert Pujols. And I don't know, when it comes to defining Devil Magic, Ben, I tend to think in terms of the uh, famous Supreme Court decision on pornography. Uh, I think it would be hard for me to explain the parameters for Devil Magic, but I know it when I see it. How about you? Uh, I, I think that's 100% correct. Um and it's also one of those things where uh, it's fleeting as well. You know, folks always talk about devil magic and, uh, you know, and it is not necessarily a permanent thing, right? No. Like, you know, like I, I have no idea what Jeremy Hazelbaker is doing right now. Right. Um, and, and the reason I don't. But is we wish him well. We wish him well. I don't mean to make fun of him or anything, but I just use yep. him as an example as someone who uh, who had an amazing run and then it was gone. You know, Joe McEwing probably fits. He, he might be the original devil magic. Yeah. Um, well, st- stubby clap down there on the first baseline. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so it's, it's one of those things uh, where you know it when you see it, but uh, in this particular instance with Albert Pujols, it's not very hard uh, to see it, uh, not least of which the clutch hits the big home runs. But I brought up uh, before the game today, and we don't have updated splits after today's game, but everything's probably a little bit higher. Um, I just want to go through uh, Albert Pujols' first half versus second half numbers here. And uh, I feel like this is the data that shows us devil magic, such as it exists. Yeah. In the first half, he was hitting for a, a, uh, a 215 batting average. He is now in the second half uh, entering play on Sunday against the Pirates. He had a 343 batting average in the second half. He had a 301 on base percentage in the first half. Entering play on Sunday against the Pirates, his on-base percentage in the second half was 400. Oof. He had a 376 slugging percentage in the first half. In the second half before today's game, which keep in mind he had some power hitting in this game. Yes, he certainly did. He had a 737 slugging percentage in the second half entering play today. Um, oh. And so his his OPS in the first half was 676. His OPS in the second half is 1.137. Yeah. And uh, you like weighted on base average. I like weighted on base average. He was at 276 in the first half. He is at 476 in the second half. That works out to a weighted runs created plus... Uh, which is a park-adjusted v- 
valuation of his offensive production. 100 is league average. Below 100 is below average. Each point is one percentage point below or above average uh, relative to 100. So in the first half, he was at 92 weighted runs created plus. In the second half, entering play today against the Pirates, he was at 214. That's double magic, Ben. That is devil magic. <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. Well, and, and the other thing I think we, we, we often recognize devil magic in the improbable late game comebacks. And, you know, we just had two in a row um, versus the Pirates. We had one in the National Series. We had uh, one, at least one in the Cubs Series. I mean, we've we're, we're starting to see these games where, um, you know, going into the eighth, going into the ninth inning, even if the Cardinals are down three, four runs, you start to not feel the game is over in the way that you would in the course of a normal baseball season. And a surprising number of times lately, you, you have been correct. <laughs> and, and you know, it's worth noting, um, Pujols is absolutely at the center of this and absolutely, um, you know, the, the most rife with devil magic right now. But you're, you know, you're seeing it kind of across the team as well. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's thrilling. And of course, it reminds us of 2011, 2013, those, you know, teams that made kind of deep playoff runs were were buoyed by some pretty significant uh, devil magic. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, the, the other thing is the team sometimes runs out of it. Um, yeah. But right now they're riding high on it. And I feel like Albert Pujols has really kind of become the catalyst. You you kind of feel like the team is feeding off of him. And it the comeback certainly feels more possible when he yeah. is in the lineup yeah. or available as a pinch hitter than it does when he is not in the lineup or he has already pinch hit and, and maybe come up short. Yeah. And and I it sure seems like when you look at the dugout and, and you get some of the reaction shots and, and some of the other stuff, it sure feels like the team feels the same way. It, it oh, feels yeah. like the players feel. Um, and, you know, what, what are feelings worth? I don't know. Yeah. But when you have that mojo going, yeah. it, it's just evident. And it's, yeah. it's clear that Albert Pujols has it going. It's almost as if coming back to St. Louis um, helped him – you know, find yeah. his mojo and get it back again. And, and it's been pretty wild to, uh, to see it play out time and again. Yeah, no, I agree hundred percent. And yeah, anytime they start talking about chemistry and sports, it, it always feels a little, um, you know, it's hard to pin down and it's one of those things where, yeah, teams that win tend to have good chemistry because they're in a good mood and teams that lose don't because they're in a bad mood. But yeah, you look at this team and, you know, they've got these, these legends, at least two of whom are retiring, who are being kind of lauded with accolades everywhere they go. They've got a guy who is, you know, threatening for the triple crown. Um, you know, you've got <laughs> you've got Lars Newtbar there, just just having the time of his life. <laughs> you know, yeah. um, you've got pepper grinders in the dugout. Uh, yeah, folks are obviously having fun. So yeah, I think like Devil Magic, it's hard to quantify. It's hard to know how much that's worth, but um, it, it's definitely better than, you know, just kind of trudging through. And so um, I hope we can just continue seeing this 
joy and this devil magic continue all the way into the playoffs. Um, ben, shall we shall we move on to something perhaps a little less magical uh, in uh, uh, Jack Flaherty? Uh, if we must, we must, Mr. Godar. All right. Um, oh, you know, I almost forgot. We did have one question on Pujols. I didn't hit here. Uh, Steve, Steve Gloriad asks, I think an underrated aspect of Pujols is that opponents are reluctant to use their lefty specialists against our lefties in high leverage situations. We saw it in the comeback against Washington. Do you think that will be a factor in the playoffs? And and I'm just going to jump on that one, Ben. And I'm going to say, I think Steve is right to an extent, but I think it goes beyond just Albert. I think it gets back to something that I know you talked about on the last episode and we, we've kind of touched on before, which is just that Ollie Marmol is really leveraging platoon splits kind of up and down the lineup. And he's doing a really great job of, uh, you know, building a, a, a batting order on a given day, um, that really addresses uh, who the starting pitcher is, what they have available in their bullpen. And when we get into the late game situations, it, you know, if it's a chess match, it just feels like Ollie more often than not is winning. And he's forcing them to put in exactly the reliever that he wants, either to face the guy who's already in the lineup or to, to face somebody he's been planning to bring in in that situation, uh, you know, since that, that morning. Would, would you agree with that assessment? Yeah, and I think that's, a big part of it is the other team's manager knows that Marmol has no qualms about pulling someone, even if it's, we, we've talked about uh, guys in high leverage spots, but even if he feels it's a make or break plate appearance early in the game, yeah. you know, he, he pinch hit, uh, and, you know, very early with Pujols, uh, at one point and essentially ended the game with it. And I think that's a big part of it is the other team's manager knows that Ollie Marmol is not, you know, tethered by some misplaced sense of the need to be loyal uh, and is willing to go out there and pull a guy. If he's got a better advantage when it comes to the platoon splits uh, in a particular matchup and, I think that you see the other team's managers are aware of that. And I think to an ex- to a certain extent, they're managing accordingly. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. So um, so now moving on to Flaherty. And actually, I'll kick things off here with another uh, question that we had. This came from Paul V. Uh, and and uh, Paul V says, how is Jack Flaherty doing after returning from the I.L.? Um, and and he, say, he did send this question, by the way, before his most recent outing. He said, to my untrained eye, it seems like the first game went pretty well. But um, <laughs> then he, he shared a meme of uh, Chris Farley from Tommy Boy uh, saying, no idea. Um, so, Ben, do we, do we have an idea? How is, uh, how is the Flaherty return going? I mean, he's still healthy, as far as we know. Um, so it's, it's definitely not terrible. The mm-hmm. fact that I'm saying that uh, is probably a pretty strong indicator of how it's going. Um, you know, when you're pitching against the uh, Pirates and you aren't getting a lot of whiffs, you aren't getting strikeouts like we're used to seeing, you know, I, I think what we're seeing is a guy who by and large hasn't pitched for two years a, mm-hmm. or a year and a half. And, yeah. uh, and we were all hopeful um, but it's it's going to take him a while 
and it's something uh, that maybe is not quantifiable in a statistical sense, but, yeah. you know, pitching is about feel. And, you know, part of the reason that spring training plays out the way that it does every year is because pitchers are working their way back into their profession and they're trying to get a feel for their pitches so they can be ready to go on opening day. And what we have now is, you know, Flaherty is essentially uh, had a handful of starts and is trying to work his way back uh, in the minors on, on a rehab stint and is trying to work his way back after a couple of setbacks due to shoulder injuries. And he looks like a guy who's been away from the game who hasn't pitched a lot and who hasn't even been able to throw uh, mm-hmm. the way that he would even in the off season. And so circling back to the spring training analogy, most of the guys who show up in spring training have gone through an off season throwing regime and they're at a point where they're ready to begin spring training. Well, Jack Flaherty had to shut everything down and work his way back up to that point. And yeah. so, uh, you know, he is not in the position of even your typical major league starter uh, when pitchers and catchers report. And we're seeing him having to work through this at the major league level um, probably a little bit earlier than he's comfortable doing. Now, is Jack Flaherty going to admit that? No, he's not. But I, I think you can see it, uh, in particular, his his start against the Pirates. I thought you could see it. He is not as sharp as uh, we're used to seeing or the idealized version of him in our in our heads. Um, but as you said, Ben, it's a long season and we've got yeah. a few weeks left and he's going to get every opportunity to show that he is ready um, and able to be effective in the postseason. And if he is, I mean, I think the team's going to go with him. Yeah. Uh, but that being said, right now, it's hard to imagine the Cardinals starting him in the postseason if it started tomorrow. Yeah, uh, no, and I, I agree with what you said, Ben, and I think your kind of analogy about a spring training pitcher um, certainly applies here. Uh, two, two points I would make, and I guess first I'm going to start with something positive. So Jack Flaherty made three starts earlier in the season. He faced 15 batters, 16 batters, and 11 batters, all right, um, going uh, three innings or two innings in each start. His two since returning this September, he's faced 23 batters in each uh, start and thrown a, a full five innings. We haven't seen any crazy velocity fluctuations or anything. So to your initial point, he, he looks healthy now. He looks healthier than he did earlier in the season. So we have to be excited about that. Obviously, this most recent game against the Pirates was it was a bad game. He walked four guys. He gave up two home runs. That's bad, but we also know that's one game. Um, I feel like a lot of what we do is, uh, you know, talking about what's a small sample size and what's a true talent level, right? And we, you know, you and I, Ben, try to be as smart as we can about this and you know, know which statistics are, are most likely to be meaningful and which trends we can take to heart, which things maybe are, you know, small sample size. And Jack Flaherty is a guy that we just really can't do that kind of analysis with at all. And it's hard with any player because 
you know, whenever we kind of try to assess someone in their true, true talent level, you know, even as good as a measurement might get, it's always a moving target because the, the skill of the player is always changing and guys do get better and guys do get, you know, get worse, even as you're trying to zero in on, you know, where exactly they are. But I mean, for Flaherty, you know, it's been since 2019 that we've really had kind of consistent, meaningful data and performance. So I think the the really just to me, the biggest question mark with him is what is his true talent level at this point in time? We, you know, we absolutely don't know. We can hope that that 2019 talent level is in there. And whenever he is fully healthy and, and you know, kind of, you know, built up that we'll see that. And maybe that won't be this season, but maybe if he stays healthy through the offseason, maybe we'd see it at the beginning of next season. But it's entirely possible that all of these injuries, all of this time away has eroded what he can do. So I mean, for now, I think we just have to, you know, keep seeing them go out there as they're kind of running them out there. They've got a big lead. So, you know, the division, so they can certainly, um, you know, give him, um, you know, give him a little rope um, and let him kind of work some things out. Then the best best case scenario of that is, you know, he he starts performing really well and, and he is a piece. Yeah, maybe not a starter in the postseason, but certainly an effective bullpen piece. But, you know, who knows? We may find out that that true talent level just isn't there, or at least that it's not going to be that performance wise, it's not going to be there the rest of this season. Yeah, and and that's uh, a very good point. And I think this is, in my mind, bringing him back at the end of this season. Yes, the team wants to see if he can be Jack Flaherty in October because they don't have one of those like bonafide shutdown ace mm-hmm. types, you know, the Mets have two. Yeah. Well, I mean, Scherzer's on the IL now, but he seems optimistic that he'll come back, but they don't have a guy like that um, in this rotation, which is a good rotation. Uh, but it, you know, it kind of reminds me more of like the 2004 rotation where they don't have that lights out guy. Um, they have a lot of very good pitchers and that goes a long way in particular in front of their defense. And so the club wants to see, can Jack Flaherty be that guy in October? And if he can't, this is also, I think, for the organization to get an idea of how healthy he is and what do they have a right to expect from him next season? Um, because I think we talked about this maybe a little too much in the offseason about how the club was counting too much on Jack Flaherty this season. And mm-hmm. they they signed Stephen Matz. They went out and signed Dr. Thunder uh, instead of Dr. Pepper and Marcus Stroman, even though it was likely they were going to need some Dr. Pepper innings. And mm-hmm. they didn't have them and they had to go out and get uh, a couple of pitchers at the trade deadline as a result. And so um, I think that's the other uh, dynamic in play here is we all want him to be Jack Flaherty in October. And that's where we're looking as fans. But I think the front office is looking to next season as much as this season as, as they begin to prepare to form a roster for next year that might not have Adam Wainwright, you know? Mm-hmm. So what, what do yeah. they do then if, if Adam Wainwright isn't coming back? And so I think that's another dynamic that's in play here uh, with Flaherty coming back and joining the rotation. 
Yeah. Well, and and some and speaking of Doctor Thunder, he's made uh, two appearances now um, uh, in in Springfield, and uh, each I guess one was an inning, a third, and one was an inning. Um, his first appearance, um, he struck out three, but he also walked three. Um, his second outing, uh, he gave up uh, three hits and a walk. Um, you know, each over the course of an inning. So. Uh, not a lot we can glean from there. Certainly not amazing performance, but, um, you know, just kind of starting to get back. And again, at least I guess the fact that he's healthy enough to go out there and throw even an inning um, is is a positive. Do you think we see Steven Matz uh, on this roster before October or in October? Uh, this all feels so crazy to me, Ben, mm-hmm. uh, that if he is out there pitching and, and he's got the velocity, he's, he, by all accounts, he's recovered well. Um, so to me, it sounds like this is moving forward and, and it's probably going to happen. And I, and I say that it's crazy cause he, you know, he had a tear in his knee and I thought his season would be over because of it. Uh, but it's not. And, and it's just shocking to me. Um, but it's it could be very good for the Cardinals because what has their weakness been? Uh, not just lately, but pretty much throughout the year. It's been, the, you know, having a solid, reliable option from the left side in the bullpen. Mm-hmm. So Matt's can get righties and lefties out, obviously. Um and so I think he immediately becomes a high leverage left-handed relief option who you don't have to worry about getting righties out, you know, in a way that you might with Jojo Romero. Um, and so to me, this could be uh, almost as important as Jack Flaherty coming back yeah, because there's going to be high leverage uh, innings in the postseason where the Cardinals need a lefty who can shut down the other, the other sides left handed batters. And they don't really have that guy right now. No. And honestly, outside of Helsley and Gallegos, they don't have a right-handed guy either. Um, and I, I talked about this. I know in our last episode, I said I was going to be watching to see how that bullpen comes together because, when, again, when you look at Cardinals teams and really any team that's su- really successful and makes a long postseason run, you know, they, they have, uh, you know, they go, you know, four or five guys deep in the bullpen that you feel like you, you know, you're pretty much on lockdown with those guys in there. And uh, the Cardinals all season and it continues now, you've got Helsley and Gallegos at the back end who are, you know, about as good of a one, two at the end of a game as you're going to find throughout the league. I mean, they're, they're absolutely in the elite tier there. But, I mean, it is a gulf from there to, you know, who comes next. I would say lately, um, you know, and again, I talked earlier about how things change during the season. And that's more true in the bullpen than it is anywhere else. Um, You know, the bullpen changes all the time. I I would say as of right now, it it looks to me like the other kind of late inning guys are Romero, uh, you know, Hicks. But, man, Hicks's results are so variable. Uh, Stratton has been getting some more time back there, you know, so I would say those are kind of the three other guys that, you know, seem to be in the mix there to be like, you know, maybe that like seventh inning type guy, depending on matchups and stuff, you know, beyond that, you've got Thompson who, you know, has, has been effective, but it just hasn't had that much, 
you know, a whole ton of time. He's still really more of a starter. Doesn't fit real that real well there. You know, Piante, they're they're often bringing in kind of as a you know piggyback guy. I think Piante is a little gassed at this point. Um, you know, and then Woodford, you've got back there, who likewise is kind of a you know really a starter that you know maybe they can use as kind of a log man. That's about it. So. When I look at that, I think to myself, uh, yeah, Stephen Matt seems like <laughs> seems like somebody they would, uh, you know, they would really uh, benefit from having in this bullpen. Yeah, and uh, with Payante, um, one of the things that I feel like has happened with him is he's kind of been oversold to us uh, by the folks who cover the team and the folks. Uh, who maybe are in the dugout. I don't know. Um, like, he's a fine pitcher. I don't want people to think that I'm, like, criticizing him and saying he's not good. Um, but, you know, he's he's got uh, fielding independent pitching, which uh, we like to use on this podcast because it looks at how a pitcher pitches as an individual, uh, whereas earned run average uh, has to do with the official scorekeeper um, how the relievers after him pitch, um, as well as the defense. Uh, but by fielding independent pitching, you know, like he's a high threes guy, like a 3.80 plus ERA. Uh, also, I should add, fielding independent pitching has a higher correlation with future ERA than, than past ERA. And so, uh, you know, you look at his ERA, it's been low, but there's no reason to expect it to stay low based on how he pitches. And so well, he- I, I disagree with you on this, Ben. And, and I, to me, th- th- that's not such a gulf that I'm really that concerned. It is, it is a little higher, but it's not, it's not what we saw. You know, w- there was a point early this season when Hudson, uh, you know, Hudson had an ERA that dipped under three at one point. Uh, you know, his his fielding independent pitching was never below like 4.7, 4.8. So, I, you know, I don't quite I don't see that that same level of gap with Piante. So I, I'm going to stand up for him here. Oh, I mean, it's about uh, half a run and it, it was larger before he just started imploding. And like the, the bottom line, though, is he also doesn't miss bats. And, and that's the thing is you can't trust a guy who pitches to contact because he's not good enough to strike guys out. And if he's not good enough to strike guys out, you don't want him on the mound in a high leverage situation as a reliever in October. And that's Payan. Well, yes, but if, if you're, if you're talking about the Cardinals, you have to trust guys who pitch to contact because that's about all they have in the rotation and in the bullpen, you know, I mean, uh, you know, Helsley and Gallegos are really the only, uh, high, r- really high strikeout guys, in, you know, in the in the bullpen. Um, and Flaherty is really the only starter that has that kind of potential. So, um, you know, I think I. But, so, I, I mean, I, I, agree, I I'm not I'm really not disagreeing with you there. Um, you know, I think he's you know just like any of these guys. Um, you know, in, in their bullpen, it's you know even in these bullpen guys are still tend to be more pitch to contact type guys, and it's it's a risky profile. Yeah, and I would uh, the risk involved with him. I wouldn't trust him as far as I could throw him, and I'm getting older and older by the year, and I could not throw him very far. And so, you know, there there's a limited uh, there there is absolutely a limited set of options uh, 
uh, down in that bullpen. Yeah. But, uh, you know, they, well, and, and again, he's, he's thrown more innings than he's ever thrown before. So I, I am a little concerned that they've just, you know, stretched him farther than he can go. But I, I would say overall, as their guys go, I'm, I'm more optimistic on him long-term. You know, he's had only, he only had, I think two minor league seasons, um, before, uh, you know, before even getting to the majors and, and, uh, yeah, he doesn't strike people out, but there's enough uh, other things that are good in his profile that I'm generally optimistic on him. But, but yeah, again, for this bullpen this year, I agree. He's in that, you know, kind of, you know, big list of guys that, you know, you don't feel real confident about. So I'd love to see a Mats get in there. Um, I haven't really been following, uh, have you have you followed anything about what Cabrera's done since he's returned to the minors? Because that's another guy that oh my gosh, if he could return to you know what he was for the two years before this year, that would be an amazing shot in the arm. Uh, I have not because he just looks so washed. Yeah, he really does. Uh, but like you know, if getting back to Payante, like if I had to choose between Jake Woodford and him right now, I would choose Woodford. Because Woodford walks less guys. They both strike out the same amount. And Woodford has a more realistic left on base percentage. Like, I I just, I look at, at those two and I'm just kind of like, you're both, you know, not terribly uh, good. <laughs> so I, if they're, if they're having, if, if we are in a situation where they're having to turn to either one of those guys in an right. important situation in October the Cardinals are hosed. Like that's not right. a position you want to be in. Right. Um, right. No, those, those guys, those guys can only be there for like, we had a bit of a implosion um, with the starter. You know, we need somebody to hopefully cover the fourth and fifth. We know they're going to give up some balls and play. We hope they find fielders and then we can eventually get to the rest of the bullpen. Yeah. And, and it's, uh, it, it, it is one of those situations where it does make me wonder how Marmal would handle that. If, if he has a starter go awry, is he going to maybe do something similar to the way LaRusa would approach that in 2011, where he's going to have a Fernando Salas come in as essentially the mid game closer, <laughs> you know, he, yeah. he would come in in relief of the starter in a, in a terrible spot. And more often than not during that run, he was successful. Yeah. And then LaRusso would have more of a long guy type start the next inning. Yeah. And, and I'm genuinely interested to see how, uh, Marmol, uh, approaches that. Well, um, I think he will, because even just within the last few weeks, you know, we saw, oh gosh, I can't remember who the opponent was, but we saw Helsley come in in the seventh. Um, you know, because uh, the the heart of the uh, it wasn't against the Braves, I think. I think it was in that Braves yeah. series. And the heart of the order was coming up, uh, and so he brought Helsley in then. So we, we've seen moments like that that just make me think he will make the kind of the right call there. Although it could be tougher to do that now that Helsley has a really a bitch and closer intro. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Do they? Uh... If if they have him start the seventh, do we get the blood red, uh, hell in Bush Stadium intro, or do I, they just play him like a normal a normal reliever? That's a great question. I feel like I've never seen those uh, really played other than at the start of a ninth inning. I don't ever remember those in the middle of an inning, but who knows? I could be could be misremembering. Um, 
Well, Ben, why don't we um, why don't we move forward here? And I, this our, our last kind of main topic we wanted to hit on today, uh, which is uh, not really Cardinal specific, but I think something we all had in our minds. Uh, as you probably saw, the uh, Major League Baseball announced on high that there would be um, three kind of major rule changes going to effect for next year. And one of our listeners, Alex Wasilik, asked us about this. He said, "Are you guys in favor of the proposed new rules?" like banning the shift and imposing a pitch clock. And really it was kind of those two rules. And then the, the larger bases, I think, are basically the, the three rules. So, so Ben, what are, what are you thinking? Um, I really like the idea of the pitch clock. Um, and we have experienced it because we live in a minor league town uh, when we have gone to ball games. And so when I am at the game in person, I do not like the pitch clock because it makes the game go too fast. If I were watching, you know, say the Cardinals playing in Pittsburgh uh, next year, I will probably like it because it's making the game go more quickly. Um, and so I, I think overall, I'm probably going to be in favor of it. Yeah. I would say, I, I honestly, I really like it in person too. I know you and I have talked about running into instances where we, uh, we've bought a beer and maybe like the top of the seventh or something. And then suddenly there's like two outs in the ninth and you've got like half a beer left um, <laughs> just because it goes so, it, it really, it, 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 the game can actually go so much faster with the pitch clock that it's like, it, it violates your sort of internal clock for how long baseball games take. And, and that has absolutely caught me a couple times this year, or you look up at the scoreboard and like do a double take that like it's as far along as it is because the game just moves at such a pace. But I mean, I, I love it. I am, I think I'm, pre- I'm really 100% in favor of the pitch clock. Yeah. And, and the other thing is, you know, there are some studies that show it, it has a negative impact on velocity. Uh, and so you you could see a reduction in some of the miles per hour that pitchers are throwing, which could help with contact and help with offense. The, the other things that uh, Major League Baseball is also trying to achieve. And yes. so um, I think the pitch clock is uh, overall going to be a positive thing. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, one of the things that... Um, I think is going to be really interesting to see, Uh, you know, and it's related to the pitch clock is you you can only throw over to try to pick a runner off so many times you, Mm -hmm. you have, you have two. And then if you do it again, you have to get the runner. Right. And so uh, what has happened is, uh, and baseball America has covered this in depth uh, on their website. They've done a really good job. Uh, And, and what has happened is, you know, lots of lots of ball players are running in the minors, and they're they're stealing more bases, and the success rate of stolen bases has gone up. Uh, I I think it was in the in the sixties, and it's gone up. You know, to like the mid seventies, so around seventy five percent was the last I read, mm-hmm. and so that is something else that Major League Baseball has wanted to do fans like stolen bases and you know you and i grew up with the whitey ball st louis cardinals i suspect some of our listeners did as well 
we really like stolen bases as well. And so uh, that is another effect of the pitch clock, um, at least down in the minors, is it has helped spur an increase in stolen bases. And you know who else likes the the stolen bases is Dan McLaughlin, because every time a runner gets on base, he says, oh, you think they might get the running game going here? They might get the running game going here. And he's been saying that for years. But you know what? They don't get the running game going there. But now now they might with both the pitch (laughs) clock and also these giant bases, these bigger bases, which Ben, I'm what I love about the bigger bases to me, it's such a like clever and elegant solution, right? Because, you know, they don't want to change the distance of the base path. Like that kind of starts to feel like this has been codified forever. Um, you know, that feels like it would be changing something. But I know they said even just, um, uh, I, I believe it was it was Theo Epstein I saw talk about this, you know, when they kind of started considering, well, what if we made the base bigger? That, that effectively shortens the baseline. And he went around and asked, you know, many people who have been in you know, baseball for years and asked him, what's the dimensions of, of the bases? And they didn't know. And I, I didn't know. I mean, did, did you know? What, what do you think about this as a, as a change? Uh, I thought it was pretty clever because uh, when you pair it with the pitch clock, you know, you're, you're cutting down a couple of inches, which did not have much of an impact in the minors. But I think... Uh, at the major league level, you're dealing with guys. It, it's so much more of a close play more often than in the minors, if, yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah. I think it might move the needle a little bit. Uh, the other reason that I'm in favor of it, Ben, which is, I, I think, more unrelated to what a lot of folks are talking about, I think it's going to make the game a little bit safer for everyone, too. I've definitely seen that noted and I've even seen statistics that there's you were were fewer collisions at the bag at first base um, in the leagues that had the the larger base paths or larger bases. Yeah, which let me also say, I think it's it's stupid that Major League Baseball doesn't have the safety bag that every other level does. It's I I don't understand that. So if, if they are unwilling to do that, which is the most common sense solution uh, on that front you know this is a a a very good uh i guess consolation solution um and so i i'm excited for the pitch clock uh, but do you know why i think i'm i am most excited about the pitch clock ben why why is that ben dakota hudson and (laughs) oh my god yeah (laughs) I, I as a Cardinals fan, I, you know, I, I don't know what it'll be like in a few years, uh, but next year I, I am very happy to think about Dakota Hudson and Giovanni Gallegos being forced to throw the ball more quickly. Oh yeah. I, you know, I was just watching a game with my older son the other day and Gallegos came in and I was, I was kind of telling him how, you know, what I love about Gallegos is he has just such a a simple kind of like a simple but extremely consistent repertoire. So I told him, I said, you know, just like watch, he's going to throw two pitches. He's going to throw a four seam fastball at the very top of the zone. And he's going to throw a slider that hits at the very bottom of the zone. And they tunnel the same way till they're like halfway to the plate. And then, you know, one breaks, you know, down and the other one doesn't. And, and so he watched it with me and, and sure enough, it bore out. Cause that's how, 
it happens. But, you know, like he threw the first ball. It was like a four-seam fastball at the top of the zone. You know, and then we had to wait like eight minutes for the next pitch. You know, I'm it was probably like 10 minutes of sitting there watching before we had enough data that he he had kind of seen what I wanted to, to show him. I, I couldn't agree more. We have two of the most egregious kind of pitch clock uh, abusers. Um, so that will be wonderful. So, Ben, I think we've left for last what's probably the most uh, contentious change. Um, and I'm, I'm interested in your thoughts on this. Um, the, the, the change, the, the limits on defensive shifts. So uh, you need four infielders on the dirt and t- two have to be on either side of second base when the pitch starts. And Ben, I'm going to start off and tell you, I, I looked something up because I, I feel like this is meant to be about putting more balls in play. And I think you even kind of maybe said this on one of our text threads here recently, but I don't think it's going to accomplish that. And I don't really think uh, that's, it's what's causing the lack of balls in play. And so what I thought is I want to look at the league wide batting average on balls in play and the league wide strikeout percentage. Um, Because to me, if the shift is really keeping, you know, uh, you know, causing a lot of outs, right? That would show up on the batting average on balls in play. We would expect that that would have plummeted because so many balls are getting eaten up by the shift. Okay. So um, I look back, I looked at each of these things and then I went back 20 years and then I went back another 20 years and, and they're relatively stable. They tend to move pretty consistently. So it's not like any of these years are outliers. So 2022 batting average on balls in play 291. In 2002, it was 293. In 1982, it was 284. Okay, so very little change there. Um, the strikeout percentage: uh, 22% in 2022, 17% in 2002, and 13% in 1982. To me, that's what's killing the balls in play is is the strikeout rate, and I don't see the defensive shifts impacting that. What, what do you think? Um. I think that Rob Manfred is doing this to cater to crotchety old sports writers, uh, former players, and owners who don't like these newfangled defensive alignments. The players should be in the field where they've always been, regardless of where players hit the ball. That's the philosophy behind it, uh, in my opinion. I think it is, this is purely for aesthetics. And it's so someone who is watching the game on television at home, when someone hits the ball up the middle, your your mind tells you, my mind still tells me, oh, that's a hit. But then a fielder, almost without fail, swoops in, makes the play, throws the guy out because they've been uh, shifted so that they can make that play because that's where mm-hmm. players hit the ball. And so uh, I am with you. I I think it probably uh, will help some left-handers who sell out for power. And uh, now they'll get a few more base hits when they don't successfully hit for power. Uh, But it absolutely, I do not believe, will have much of an impact at all. If any impact, I would be surprised actually if it has any impact on... Uh, you know, the way players are trying to hit. And the reason is 
pitchers are so disgusting right now. Their stuff is so unhittable. You cannot string hits together to score runs like you could in 1985. Okay, that's just a fact. So if you want to get rid of players trying to hit home runs, which is the most valuable type of contact, because that's the best way to try to score runs overall, because you aren't going to get three hits in an inning. It's, It's unlikely. You might get two. So if you get a guy who walks, you've got to drive him in from first base. And the way you do that is hitting the ball over the fence. You also drive yourself in. And so what you have is pitchers are so good that hitters are gearing up to try to do the most damage possible if they get a pitch to hit. And nothing that Rob Manfred put through the competition committee is going to change that dynamic. The pitch clock might have a slight impact because it's going to potentially reduce the velocity on some fastballs and maybe some of the break on some breaking balls. Um, but overall, the shift is it's it's a nothing burger of a decision by Major League Baseball. All it is is like painting the outfield's wall, outfield walls a different color. Yeah. You know, well, like to make it more aesthetically pleasing uh, for old people. Yeah, no, hundred percent. And you know, like when I think about balls in play, I often think about the, you know, the, the reverse or the opposite, which is balls not in play. And that's really the problem. That's, that's the thing that people are perceiving as not a lot of action. And I just went through, and I think we know the strikeout rates have just soared. Um, So, so, uh, you know, 22% of, at bats end in a strikeout. So that's no ball in play. I actually didn't do the walk data, but I'm, I'm almost certain walks are up, aren't they? His, historically, I'm pretty sure those have climbed significantly as well. Um, uh, they're, they're up less than you would think. I okay. thought the same thing. Sure. I haven't looked it up uh, recently, but it is nowhere, nowhere near uh, what the strikeout rate is doing. Right. But so regardless, you know, let's say you add up the strikeout percentage, you add up the walk percentage, right? That all of those are instances where the ball is not in play. Okay. So if, you know, 30% of the time the ball doesn't go into play, that's an issue. Um, You know, you go back to 1982 and that number was, was going to be more like 20%. So that's a notable, you know, difference. The reality is when the ball is in play, it's not that different. You know, it's, it's the balls are becoming hits at about the same rate that they ever were. So it's just not going to, it's not going to have an impact there. You know, you're a hundred percent right about guys, you know, you know, selling out for power. I mean, ground balls are the worst kind of contact and always have been. So like, um, you know, allowing a few more ground balls through is not really going to significantly change the overall kind of atmosphere. So anyway, I don't think we think it'll do what it's going to do. Um, in terms of the aesthetics, I am, I'm, I'm really interested to see that. I've seen some interesting kind of questions people have raised. I don't remember who the writer was, but someone posited, you know, would we see like arena football type, you know, yeah. moving, moving formations, which kind of makes sense, right? Like, couldn't your, couldn't your shortstop basically like start running and, and, you know, not cross the, that second base threshold until, you know, the pitch is delivered or something. I mean, hypothetically, I think you could see things like that happening. You know, I also wondered about, well, what if you pulled your, I mean, could, could you, 
could you still pull your like third, maybe your, your uh, outfielder from the other side in as like a short fielder on that side? And maybe, you, you know what I mean? I'm wondering, will we see some kind of a configuration like that? I mean, you'd leave a fairly big hole on the opposite side, but you know, some guys have spray charts as such that they don't really even hit fly balls the opposite way that often. I, I'm interested to see what are, what are your kind of expectations? Do you think it will be significant from an aesthetic standpoint or kind of a nothing burger there as well? Well, let, let me just say, when I say this is to make old people happy, I am one of those old people. I want to sit on my couch and say to my wife, Ozzy Smith would have gotten that and have her just look at me like, I don't care. Um, and, but that being said, I just, to me, I think one of the problems has been the way that the people who cover the games have approached the shift. Mm-hmm. They don't yeah. they, like, like BS Midwest, right? Like we have to listen to Jim Edmonds drone on and on and on yeah. about text messages and everything else. When it would be much more interesting to, to get a reset of the defense, to see where guys hit the ball, to engage yeah. me on the strategy of what is going on on the field right now. Right. Instead, and and you know, uh, KMOX is is one of the most horrible broadcasts to listen to in this regard because John Rooney and Ricky Horton hate the shift, and for years they've pointed out when the shift has been beaten. Yeah. Um, but they're much less vocal when the shift works, and they also give us no context on why a team might be employing the shift they are employing against this particular batter. Yeah. Yeah. No. And that's egregious. And it's one of the many ways that, you know, baseball broadcasting kind of writ large is just so in the dark ages and, and these, and I don't really want to get sidetracked here too far, Ben, cause we're already running a little long, yeah. but yeah, we are. You know, the idea that, you know, all of the, you know, very, very smart people and baseball front offices and baseball uh, dugouts, et cetera, like that, that they don't realize that these shifts don't work, but you know, some, uh, you know, septuagenarian broadcaster does, you know, which really that's the thesis that these people are presenting. And it's like, point me to the team that's doing it the way you're saying it, first of all, at all. And then point me to the team that's doing that and is successful. It doesn't exist. So anyway, I don't want us to get too, <laughs> too far down the road there. But so what I'm saying is instead of engaging the audience and, yeah. and bringing us into this on a on a batter by batter or pitch by pitch basis which would be pretty easy to do because we've seen some broadcasts do it and it's interesting yeah um and 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 i think that that's a part of the problem and so i think at the end of the day you're gonna have that more traditional feel which is what they are going for and um you know, and, and I don't it, even know that you're going to have that that much because, you know, you're still so let's say you've got a left handed batter up, you know, your shortstop just has to be like one step, uh, you know, to the third base side. So they're still essentially playing up the middle. They're still going to gobble up that ground ball straight up the box. Um, you know, yeah, that guy in the second base spot, he can't be, you know, five steps out into short right field. He has to be on the dirt. But really. I don't think it's actually going to change that dramatically where guys are playing now. And then it's not even, so then it's not going to change the results that much either. No, it's, it's just going to be, you know, Tommy Edmond or the second baseman 
is no longer, you know, in that rover, that yep. slow pitch softball rover position, like in shallow yep. right field. Yeah. And, and that is a weird thing. And I mean, at the end of the day, I don't think it will have that much of an impact. I think it'll help like Nolan Gorman. It, it might help Tommy Edmond and, and Dylan Carlson as well, you know, when yeah. they're, when they're batting against right-handed pitchers. Um, and so, you know, like, okay, whatever. I don't think it's that big of a deal. And I think some of the conversation about it, about it has been a little bit over uh, selling what this is and what it's going to do. Yeah. Cause I just, I don't think it's going to have that much of an impact. Yeah, absolutely. And, and again, you know, they have been testing it out at some of these minor league levels. There's not reports of drastic changes one way or another there. So I don't think we'll see those either. So, all right. Uh, since we are running a little long, we'll dive on into the questions here. We've already hit a couple of those. Um, thank you, everyone who sends us questions. You can always do that on Twitter at Cardinals Off Day. Um, that's probably the easiest way to do that for us. So, um, uh, so uh, first question we have here is from Trenton. Do you guys think, uh, do you guys still think O'Neill is on the trade block this off season? And if so, what do you think they'd look for in return, depending on how he finishes the year out? Ben, what do you think? Um, I think they will listen on O'Neill. Um, at this point in time, he's an enticing player. You know, I, I think they would probably get, uh, frankly, probably like a couple of relievers, maybe uh, a prospect who's in the lower levels who profiles as a future reliever, um, you know, to me, or they'll get a scratch ticket, low level hitter. I mean, to me, this seems a lot like the Matt Adams trade, uh, if, if we're looking for an analogy, but O'Neill has a higher upside. So maybe yeah. you get a prospect with a potentially higher upside, Who's that guy we got for Matt Adams? Oh, oh yes, yeah. yes, yes, Juan Yepes. So yeah. uh, the Cardinals do a pretty good job when they're when they're making these types of trades of getting a player that that they can mold into a useful big ligger. Um, do I think a trade of Tyler O'Neill is a given? No, I do not. The Cardinals like to block prospects, um, so I don't think it's a given, especially after the Bader trade. Uh, Cause they're going to need someone who can play some center uh, in yeah. the outfield picture. Um, but I do think they're still going to listen because uh, they have a guy who, who has a lot of potential knocking on the door of the majors. Yeah. And to me, it's more just the outfield in general, I think is probably a little crowded as we move to next year. You've got O'Neill, you've got Carlson, you've got Newt Barr, You've got Burleson, and then as you were alluding to, you've got Jordan Walker um, coming up and joining us. Um, to say nothing of potentially Yepes, right? If he, um, you know, uh, he doesn't really have a position, but you know, if they're still looking at him kind of as an outfielder, um, you know, that's that's a lot of corner outfielders, <laughs> um, and so uh, you know, and yeah, they do they like to block prospects, and depth is not a bad thing. So they certainly don't need to pare it down to you know, three starters and that's it. But um, it still feels like there's probably more there than they really need to roll into the next season with. So I, I would think they'd be listening to offers on really all of those guys. Um, and um, I wouldn't be surprised to see somebody go um, and possibly somebody joining the system 
at a high level who's maybe a, a better uh, strictly center fielder um, kind of in that mix. So that, that would be my expectation. Yes. Uh, looking at our next question, it comes from Cards Talk 314. That's at Cards underscore Talk 314. I'm sending this before he makes his debut, but thoughts on Burley on the Burley call up. Also, he's not postseason eligible, so is it safe to assume Yepes will take his spot later on? Separate question Would you like to see DeYoung? DFA'd and be replaced by Kramer Robertson. Well, thank you, Cards Talk. Uh, Mr. Godar, what do, what do you think about the Burleson call? So, um, I, I, you know, he's, I think, what does he had one start so far? Um, and I don't think he has a hit yet. He, he's played so little. Um, I, I, I don't really have any thoughts on what we've seen him do at the major league level because there's just, there's just not enough there. Um, you know, as I've said before, I think they do view Burleson as a, as a bit of a Fabergé egg and a guy that um, I think they see as, you know, being a, a you know, a, a solid major league contributor, um, you know, whether that's as a starting player, whether that's as, as possibly more of a fourth outfielder type, I think is TBD. But, um, you know, they had a window here to go ahead and bring him up, put him on the 40, um, get him some time with uh, Carlson. Uh, you know, going on the DL. And I think they just kind of smartly took advantage of that because I think they recognized we're going to want this guy on the 40 going into next season anyway. So may as well kind of do that, um, you know, do that right now. As far as would Yepes take his spot? Uh, I think no. Um, I don't think Yepes, I don't see him rejoining this team this season, uh, you know, short of a, an injury, which could abs- absolutely happen. But, you know, you know, remember Juan Yepes was essentially the right-handed DH platoon option. And there's a guy named Albert Pujols who is, you know, performing that at an unbelievable level right now. So I don't see him rejoining. Um, And then, and Ben, I'm sorry, I'm blowing through all three of these and then I'll let you you jump in. Um, You know, Paul DeYoung, you know, and and I, I'm, I'm a Paul DeYoung fan and I'm more of a Paul DeYoung believer. I don't know what his issue is offensively. He goes into these funks. We hear a lot of reporting that it's a mental thing. I hate to like, jump on that because who knows, but he just, you know, he's not hitting again and that's terrible. But when you talk about replacing with Kramer Robertson, I don't think Kramer Robertson's going to hit at all either. And I think Paul DeYoung's a better defender. So I think, you know, even just as a backup infielder, um, I think Paul DeYoung still makes the most sense. Uh, ben, Ben, what do you think on these questions? Um, I, I think Burleson, uh, simply put, Dylan Carlson got hurt. The team felt that while he's on the injured list, Burleson gives them the best player to help them win down the stretch. Yeah. Um, with respect to and 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 also they they have coverage in center field even with Carlson out, um, which suggests to me that maybe this is more of a nagging injury. Um, you know what? Whether or not the team foresaw the injured list. Uh, I, I think this is something that maybe Carlson has been dealing with. Um, and so uh, I, I'm not terribly surprised at it, uh, even though he, he won't be on the postseason roster because he's a very good hitter. And Moselock has been uh, indicating that they would promote him and they had an opportunity to do so. And it allows him to get his feet wet in the majors 
before next season. And, and I think it's, it's just potentially a win, win, win situation all the way around uh, while Carlson is on the injured list. Um, I agree with your take, Ben, that it would be surprising absent an injury for Yepes to rejoin the St. Louis Cardinals this year. Um, it, it just feels like the way they've structured this team and the way that Albert Pujols has hit, yeah. you know, he's going to get every single one of those right-handed uh, at-bats for the platoon advantage. And in the postseason, it's tough to have two guys like that on the roster. And, and find playing time for him. Uh-huh. Um, and with DeYoung, I would be surprised if they DFA'd him uh, because he's a good defender who can play multiple positions. Yeah. Uh, his salary next year is not terribly high. We've talked about this on past episodes, uh, so I don't want to beat a dead horse. Uh, Kramer Robertson has been passed around the majors and no one seems to want to keep him. Yeah, <laughs> And so... Uh, I don't think anyone particularly wants to keep Paul DeYoung either, but he has a guaranteed major league salary that I don't think the Cardinals will just eat. And with his skill on defense, I think he still could be uh, a player who gives the team some production moving forward, even if it's just as a bench infielder. Um, And I would be surprised to see them cut ties with him in that way. Yep. Yep. I agree. So, uh, Sachin Parikh asks, how has this season for Gorman, O'Neill, Donovan, and Carlson affected their 50th percentile and 99th percentile projections for their careers? Uh, ben, what would you say? Um, I am going to say that Gorman's 99th percentile, in my mind, has gone up. Uh, his 50th percentile, I think, has also gone up. I think O'Neill's has gone down on both of those. I think Donovan's has gone up, and I think Carlson's has gone down on both. What do you think? Um, yeah, I uh, no, I, I I agree with you, um, and I guess I would say, yeah, Gorman, and I I really feel like Gorman gets short shrift. I think people talk about him like it's been a disappointing season. I I just actually ran some numbers today. Um, do, do you know how many uh, 22-year-olds for the St. Louis Cardinals have uh, posted uh, a, a 105 or better uh, weighted runs created plus, uh, uh, Ben? Since since the uh, the I went back to the wild card era. Oh, uh, Albert Pujols. Uh, yep. Dylan Carlson. And that's it. And and Nolan oh, Gorman. <laughs> Yep, Pujols twice, Dylan Carlson and Nolan Gorman, and I understand that Carlson having a, you know fallen off a little bit this year maybe doesn't make that list seem quite as impressive. But folks, that's impressive. Um, Dylan Carlson, or excuse me, Nolan Gorman's had uh, to me an excellent rookie season. I mean, he's had a, uh, a better rookie season than I would have guessed um, as kind of a median projection. Um, so, so yeah. That I, anyway, just kind of wanted to comment on him, but I, I agree with you. Um, I would say Carlson is the one on this list who probably has maybe been impacted the most for me. And I just, as we talked about before, it's some of his just um, the low exit velocity and some of that kind of stuff. Um, the, the, the platoon struggles. Um, I am starting to worry about what that maybe kind of high end projection for him looks like. 
yeah, it's uh, the the quality of contact, but also the walks. He just he seems like he's someone who's trying to figure out uh, what works for him. Yeah, well, and with the walks, Ben, as as I think you've pointed out, often related to Tommy Edmond, you know, once once the league figures out that you're not going to do a lot of damage in the zone, it's it's hard to to take walks, even when you have a great approach, which I think. Carlson absolutely does. Yeah. And, and that's something with him is he just, he has not done damage on balls over the heart of the plate this year. Like that's the big issue with him. Yep. And uh, if you're not doing that type of damage, there's not much of a risk for the opposing pitcher. And so if there's not much of a risk for the opposing pitcher they're going to challenge you and and i you know we're i think we're seeing more of that with carlson and um you know if he's not going to hit for power if he's not going to do damage we're going to continue to see it yep i agreed all right uh moving on to our next question here uh it comes from bill dozier uh he uh, asked about the postseason roster with respect to who gets left on and who gets left off. Uh, he asks what to do about, uh, specifically with respect to the roster, what to do about Gorman and Carlson. He wants to know was Carlson's benching, uh, performance or injury related and how much should they stick with Gorman down the stretch and where could Yepes fit in here on out? Uh, we've already touched on Yepes. We don't think he fits uh, from here on out. No. Um, but what do you think about his other questions, Mr. Godar? Yeah, and I mean, I'll, I'll try to buzz through these because I think we've touched on or around most of these. You know, in terms of the postseason roster, um, on the pitching side, uh, Matt's is really the only likely addition I think you see to, um, you know, to who's there, um, you know, right now. Um, uh, and uh, offensively, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that uh, Carlson returns and uh, takes Burleson's place. And I think that's I think that's about it. Again, as things stand right now and it's, um, you know, injuries and things like that could totally reshuffle those things. Um, you know, what to do about Gorman and Carlson. I, I think Nolan Gorman's great. <laughs> I, don't, I really don't understand folks. You know, I know he's, um, you know, his, uh, his kind of September, you know, uh, you know, August and September, you know, was down a little bit, but, um, it's not like, you know, Yachty, those first couple months of the season, type, you know, type hitting, like it's still pretty good, especially for a rookie. Um, I, I think he absolutely maintains a place on the roster, um, as he should, uh, you know, Carlson, the, the ben, per, you know, was the benching performance or injury related. I would say, and I, you know, first of all, I don't know, but I would say, yes, it is <laughs> because I think it's probably both, you know, the performance was really dwindling. My suspicion is that he had kind of a bit of a nagging injury that it was kind of like, well, let's give him some rest for that. And let's also just give him a little bit of a break to see if he can get on track. Uh, what, what do you think, Ben? I, yeah, I I think that you're on to something there. And it also makes me wonder how long he's been dealing with it. And yep. as well as how likely is he to get better uh, before October? And 
the timing of him being put on the injured list to me suggests they they wanted to try to get him right for October because he's their starting center fielder. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it was very interesting. The team goes and tells him he's not being traded. They then trade Harrison Bader and make him the starting center fielder. And shortly thereafter, the manager starts benching him. And to me, you don't tell someone they aren't being traded, get rid of your starting center fielder who's on the injured list. Uh, if you intend to bench that person. And so I, I think you're right, Ben. I, I think the injury probably had something to do with him getting more time off. Yeah. And I think sometimes we're maybe too quick to dismiss these small nagging injuries, right? I think back to, uh, you know, Corey Dickerson's kind of on and off calf injury in the first half. And we looked at his performance and we all just said, this guy's washed. Right. But, you know, like he's been healthy in the second half and he's been uh, one of their very best hitters. So, you know, I think it's very possible that he was dealing with a, a recurring calf injury that was keeping him from performing at the level that it turns out, in fact, he's still able to, to perform at. Um, so, you know, with Carlson, if he had a nagging injury that was, you know, impacting him, hopefully this time off will help him recover from that because there's certainly a better team with, uh, you know, an effective Dylan Carlson um, as their center fielder. Uh, Sarah Ann um, asks, uh, uh, well, she asked a question, but first, uh, uh, I have been made aware that uh, today, as this episode drops, is Sarah Ann's birthday. So, so Ben, would you join me in wishing Sarah Ann a, a very happy birthday? Uh, happy birthday, Sarah Ann. I hope we give you uh, a good answer on your birthday question. <laughs> Absolutely. Sarah has been, I think, one of our longest listeners, so we've, we, we appreciate that. Um, uh, she's an amazing follow on Twitter for any Cardinals fans. She's at Sarah Ann 1212 so please do follow her there. Her question is, what is it called when someone gets a single, a double, a triple, a home run, a walk, and a hit-by-pitch in the same game? Uh, that's a fantastic question, Ben. Yeah, I, I think it's called a unicorn. Is it? Uh, yeah, because it's uh, a single is, is one, double, triple, home run, walk, and hit by pitch. That's six plate appearances right there. Yes. So, so how many games does a player get six plate appearances? Not many. And and it's it's six plate appearances without an out, and then with six different outcomes without an out. Right. Um, and so I I did not run the baseball reference. Uh, play index to see if anyone's ever done this before. Did you do that, Ben? Oh man, I didn't. I totally should have done that. Um, but I, I mean, it is something I have never watched a game where this has happened. Um, I, I was thinking about it when I read the question um, and I've never even, I've never heard of it happening. So I was, I was, uh, that's how I arrived at unicorn. Cause I've never seen a unicorn either, Ben. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I haven't either. And now I'm, I'm regretting that um, I didn't uh, I didn't run this because I think I could do this on the play index and find this. Uh, yeah, I think you're right. You know, what's interesting is the the hardest to get of that would be the hit by pitch. Um, yeah. You know, that's that's the thing that, that happens the, the least frequently. Um, so, <laughs> you know, you have to do that. This reminds me a little bit of um, back at Viva Albertos. I wrote an article um, about Fernando Tatis's two 
grand slams in the same inning. And, uh, I think, um, and, and kind of crunch some numbers as improbabilities as best you can there. And really the, the most difficult thing about doing that, it's much more difficult to come up twice in the same inning with the bases loaded than it is to hit two home runs in the same inning. Um, yeah. So, so you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's kind of similar in that you think about hitting those two home runs and like, oh my gosh, imagine doing that. But if you look back and, and quite a few players have hit two home runs in the same inning, you know, it's reasonably uh, common, but again, like, you know, for the bases to be loaded, you at a minimum have to be the fourth hitter up in the inning. And then it has to come all the way around to you again. And when you look at the number of innings in baseball history where that many players bat, it's, you know, tiny. <laughs> so um, that's what makes some of these real, like, you know, unicorn things so unusual. Like, and I can't remember the name of the Cardinals minor leaguer, but who had the, uh, um, had the, uh, the home run cycle, right? Um, yes. You know, same thing there. Four home runs in a game is pretty rare, but to come up in exactly those situations is just, you know, e- even more unusual. Yes. And, and uh, just even in this particular situation, as I said, like even batting six times in a game, you know, that's yes. only a handful of times each season uh, that a player is going to do that. And so you would have to have everything break correctly. You would have to achieve the cycle plus two, you know, and so that's, that's extremely difficult. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. All right, uh, moving on to our next question. And uh, we are, and we have already uh, addressed a, a few of our questions uh, earlier in the discussion. So we are, we are on our last one. And uh, we are each the fathers of sons, Ben. So I feel like we're highly qualified to answer this question from Wrist Pumpkin. <laughs> my son was born on September 8th. Then Yachty hit two home runs, but the Cardinals lost and Pujols didn't homer. Is he going to be a good luck charm or not for the playoff run? Uh, well, Wrist Pumpkin, uh, Wrist Pumpkin Jr.'s track record, I think, speaks for itself over the last couple of days. What do you think, Ben? <laughs> uh, I think so. I think so. And I, um, I was touched by this. A question. And first of all, Risk Pumpkin, congratulations. Uh, ben and I are both uh, fathers of sons. So um, I don't know if this was your first or not, but uh, welcome to the club. And um, so, you know what it just it reminded me, Ben, and I'm going to get a little mushy here, folks. So you might want to skip ahead if, if this isn't your thing. But, um, you know, it's, it, it is very special when you can watch baseball and watch the, the team you love with your, uh, you know, with your children and really with any loved ones, you know, with friends, with parents, it, it can be the same with anybody. And it just made me think about how there are moments that I remember that I wouldn't remember otherwise, you know, because it was a game I went to with my kids or a game we watched on TV together. You know, maybe it was like the first time they noticed something and appreciated something and got excited about it. So, you know, there's just a number of uh, moments like that that really um, are, are kind of like cemented in my mind, um, you know, because they were there. So, uh, 
you know, that Yachty hit two home run game, you know, that was a pretty cool game. And it, it might be the best single game performance we see of him in this his final season. But I think in reality, it's one that I might not remember long term. But Riss Pumpkin is going to remember it because, uh, you know, obviously his son was born that day. And so he's always going to associate those two things. And that's really cool because that I mean, th- that's a cool game to remember. And just to have that, uh, you know, that to kind of pin it to. Yeah, it, it absolutely is. And uh, the 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 fun thing about this is um, whether or not. Uh, you can have events occur that allow you to declare your child to be a good luck charm. Uh, You're going to go to so many games and watch so many games together that uh, that that label is going to wear off, uh, especially as your son's uh, personality begins to emerge. And so Um, it's one of those things where it's like, yes, when they're an infant who have very little interaction with you, which, uh, wrist pumpkins son will be for the next few months, they, they will feel more like a talisman that might bring you good luck. Uh, but their personality is going to come out and they're just going to be an absolute joy. And, uh, you're going to get to go to all these games with them. And it's, it's not, uh, going to be whether or not your child is brings them good luck, you're going to start having conversations with one another about which cap you're wearing is going to bring good luck or which shirt, those types of things. And, and, and that is a lot of fun, uh, from one dad to another. Uh, I find it really enjoyable and, uh, I wish, uh, you all the best, uh, as you go down that path with your son, wrist pumpkin. So thank you for your question. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, and thank you to everyone who asked us questions today. As always, it's a lot of fun. Um, Ben, while we were talking right there, I was able to run (laughs) a stat head query and no one has ever accomplished the uniform, the unicorn. Uh, And you know, what does it is the hit by pitch because there are guys who have hit for a cycle and had a walk. Um, There were a number of those, but when you throw the hit by pitch in, it's never happened. So, so it is a unicorn. It is. If it ever happens, it will literally be, be a unicorn. So, um, <laughs> so anyway, uh, that was a, a, a great question. Uh, but let's go ahead and wrap things up here. Ben, um, what are you going to be looking for? Uh, I'm going to be uh, looking for um, basically uh health reports on Matt's Flaherty and Carlson. Uh, Cause we're to the part of the year where, uh, you know, the, the runway is getting very short uh, for them to be able to be on the roster and effective in October. And it begins with their health. Um, and then I'm going to be watching for swings and misses from both Matt's and Jack Flaherty because the Cardinals need them to be able to get swings and misses uh, both down the home stretch in September and uh, if they qualify for the postseason in October. And so that is what I'm going to be paying the most attention to is Steven Matz and Jack Flaherty being able to induce whiffs. 
All right. Well, we traded uh, spots this time, Ben, because our last show, you said you were going to be watching pool holes, and then I had to come up with something else that I was going to be watching. Um, but since you chose something else this time, I'm going to be honest and say I'm just going to be watching pool holes uh, <laughs> because, like, there is just nothing I'm more interested in than than you know seeing what he does. And as you said at the beginning, you know, we're back to that feeling where it's not just it's not even really just hoping he can get to 700, but you know, like uh, these last two Pirates games. I felt that feeling when he came up like, oh, man, Pujols is like, this is a good thing. Like Pujols is up now. We're going to do some damage. We're going to get back in this game. And it happened both times. So that is what I am going to be watching for. I, I assume most other Cardinals fans will be as well. Um, ben, do you have an off day recommendation for folks? Um, my off day recommendation uh, for uh, this week is uh, going to be the Baseball America podcast episode that they published at the end of last week on the rule changes. Um, number one, uh, I encourage you to subscribe to Baseball America if you don't and you really enjoy baseball and prospects. Um, but even if you don't want to subscribe, you can still listen to the podcast uh, and they do a very good job of running down the articles that they have written on the rule changes. And uh, I highly recommend uh, giving that a listen uh, because I think it'll give you a good, a, a better idea, shall we say, of what to expect um, from the rule changes in Major League Baseball next season. Yes, excellent. That is a, a very good recommendation as always. Um, so my recommendation, and honestly, Ben, we've been doing this show long enough now, every now and then I recommend something and I'm like, did I recommend this before? And I can't remember. <laughs> so, uh, tell me if I have, uh, I reckon I'm recommending the movie, uh, the catcher was a spy. Did I recommend this on the show before? No, I don't believe that you have, but okay. you've recommended it to me personally. Yeah, and so this is a, a film, it was a 2018 film, but it didn't really, it kind of had a pretty nominal distribution. I don't think it was really where people could see it until 2019 or 2020. Um, but it's the it's the story of Mo Berg. If, if anyone's familiar with Mo Berg, he was a, a real journeyman catcher, played like 20 years in Major League Baseball as a you know backup, um, was kind of just sort of an odd duck, really noted as an intellectual. And and then uh, during World War II and even before that a little bit was a, a spy, like a, actually a, you know, a spy for the United States and, and did some truly crazy stuff. Um, and uh, the this film version, it, it stars Paul Rudd, um, you know, in, uh, you know, the story of the story of his life. You know, it's not like a perfect movie by any means or maybe like an amazing movie. Um, and it's it got kind of middling reviews, but I'm a much bigger fan of it than a lot of people are. I've always found Mo Berg pretty interesting and just really as kind of a, a telling of his story, you know, I thought this is a lot of fun. I mean, who doesn't love Paul Rudd? Um, it's got a, it's got a great cast like Paul Giamatti and Tom Wilkinson and um, a whole bunch of, uh, you know, other just, you know, really great casts throughout. So um, anyway, that's one that I would recommend uh, checking out. It might even be on uh, canopy, the like kind of public, uh, public library video streaming service. I think I might've seen it on there. Um, I don't know where else it is. Anyway, that is my recommendation. The catcher was a spy. Ben, anything else before we, uh, we wrap it up? 
No, I uh, am very excited to see Albert Pujols hit his 700th home run uh, in a Cardinals uniform. And like all of you, I'm going to be watching with uh, great anticipation. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I am going to um, at least some of the games in that final home series at the end of September and the first day of October. And I went from thinking, well, he's not going to hit 700 home runs to thinking, oh man, maybe I'll get to see him hit 700 home runs. Now I'm like, I think he's going to hit it before that series. <laughs> so uh, it's been quite a turnaround. But looking forward to the rest of the season and going to see those games. Uh, thank you everyone as always for joining us. Thanks to Devon for the theme music. Thanks to Dan for helping us out on social media. And we will see you all on the next Cardinals Off Day. Go Cardinals!